Disco Payday, Morgan. So we had to kick off today's show <laughs> with the Disco Queen herself, Donna Summers. She worked hard for the money. I want to formally welcome everyone to day nine of, of the second series in Girl Trek's Black History Bootcamp. We're counting down our um, 21 acts of resistance and teaching you about the Black men and women who did extraordinary, courageously brave things to um, for justice and liberation in this country. And Morgan, on today where it's Black Women's Equal Pay Day, I put some of the statistics in the email, but first of all, I was actually right before this call reading an article in Fortune magazine. I was blown away. First of all, the equal, uh, the pay gap amongst black and white women accounts for over a million dollars in our lifetime. I just want you to know it's real dollars that we're talking about in the bank. And then, of course, that springboards into whether or not we have generational wealth or not, which we can talk about later. But something that totally blew my mind, 59% of black women, which means 59% of black women on this call, have never once had a formal interaction with a senior leader at their company. How are we even going to be in leadership positions when we've never even had a, a single interaction with a leader at our company, 59% of black women. I was really blown away by that. And the, although 80% of white employers consider themselves to be allies, Morgan, only 45% of black women said that they feel like they have strong allies at work. So I just want to uplift all of the activists and organizers who are working to close that pay gap. Part of today's conversation um, and the amazing woman who we're going to talk about today, Mary Church Terrell, this is about how women like Mary Church Terrell and the many women who I know are fighting for equal pay amongst Black women, this is about celebrating them, Morgan, and those tiny acts of resistance that don't often get um, pushed to the forefront. Mm. Speaking of allies, I talked to my sister about yesterday's call, who really, my sister's like heavy into the church, um, just to make sure I did okay. And she was like, yeah. And she gave me another fact about allies that I wanted to share that originally Church of God in Christ, I told you guys uh, yesterday, or you all yesterday was integrated and there are white people who were involved and the white people had a delegation and then they decided, <laughs> they decided to separate. <laughs> they decided to separate. And I was like, well, tell me about that. And she said that actually many of the white people had to separate because their churches were getting bombed because they were integrated and because they were, you know, finding God yeah. and having these like euphoric experiences and like really experiencing yeah. God in community together, white and black. And people didn't like that. And they were bombing their churches. Yeah. So a, a big group of white people spun off and they became the assemblies of God. I don't know if you know the assemblies oh, of God. I, I, do know, like, I know allies. the assemblies of God, but I did not know that story about it. Which is even funny that you yeah, brought that either. story up because one of the questions in today's email is how important is it that our social communities are diverse? And I sorry, mean, I think, look, the rooster is crowing. <laughs> right. The social community needs to be diverse enough that you have at least one friend who has a rooster crowing in her background for sure. But I mean, that question of like who we worship with um, and who comes to yeah, the table to yeah. organize and who breaks bread with us around the table. Um, we're going to get into a little of that in this conversation, but all of that is actually relevant because as we're building this new vision for the new world we want to live in, we have to ask ourselves these tough questions. So. So yeah, that was a really, yeah. really when, great story. You know, when people talk about proximity, they're mostly talking about white people getting close to the problems that black people face so that they can help solve them. That's usually how the context in which it's used. But I would argue yeah. that our liberation also requires proximity to people who have been free on some level so we can know what we want and what we don't want. You know what I mean? And 
like a little bit the statistic you were talking about are the people, not even who've been free, but that too, but in power. If you haven't had a a conversation with your boss, (laughs) like I'm saying like, right. It's hard to even Look, know like th- where the company is going or anything. I mean, it's crazy. That's a it crazy is, statistic. and that's why. And and part of today is going to be, and what we learn from Mary Church Carrill is going to be how we just say the hard things that we need to say, or have the brave and cor- courageous conversations, or insert ourselves into conversations to make things happen. So, I I didn't even know that much about Mary Church Terrell, who, by the way, is home is here in Washington, D.C. I've walked past it many times. It's over near LaDrake Park on T Street. Um, and she taught at Dunbar High School, which is not that far from where I live. Um, and wow. I just still didn't know that much about her. And she's one of those yeah, women who is like, I was so excited to talk about her after I started to do the research, Morgan, because we are Mary Church Terrell. And we, and I mean that by we meaning the collective of women who've come to this call. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad to talk about her because a lot of times when we think about acts of resistance, we think of, you know, Brie Newsom going up the flagpole, the news coming out, these major moments. But in Girl Trek, we often talk about those tiny acts of rebellion, those those moments where it's like the small moments that build up. And when I tell you that Mary Church Terrell had so many small moments and so many big moments that I was like, how we don't know, how I don't know that much about her um, was just a shame. And so I'm really excited to talk about her. And then I'm also really excited to talk about her, Morgan, because as we are now two days away after the announcement that we're going to have the first black woman vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris, I have some questions around like, are the allies, are we, how are we rallying to support black women and how our support goes beyond lip service and it goes to votes at the ballot, right? And how, and are our allies going to rally their, their folks um, for the greater good? I have some questions about that because history hasn't always proven that that's the case. So it's with true. that said, it is yeah. true. It is true. With that said, y'all, I want to get into some fast facts about Mary Church Trail so that Morgan and I can get into the conversation. It's juicy, Morgan. And when I get to the resistance part of this conversation, I'm going to just try to keep it above board because I had an attitude. I was just like, and I'm just like, <laughs> the boot camp, the boot camp, you can't come with the spirit of attitude at the boot camp. You cannot. So even though I had an attitude, no, I was like, not attitude, gratitude, not attitude. Listen, I got to let it go. So welcome, y'all. Let's get into yes. the facts. So Morgan, Mary Church Terrell was born in Memphis. Shout out to Memphis. They have the best barbecue on the planet. Like somebody from Memphis has the barbecue. And Morgan's Kansas City. From Kansas Memphis. City. Sorry. Sorry. Definitely Memphis. But we'll get into that in another <laughs> stage. Morgan's people is even from Memphis. And how she's saying they don't got the best barbecue, I don't know. Look, Mary Church Terrell was from a home of the best barbecue in America, Memphis, Tennessee. But she was born in September. Shout out to all the Virgo season is coming, of which I am a Virgo. Um, She was born in 1863, Morgan. And this is important because 1863 was the year of the Emancipation Proclamation. Her parents, Robert Church and Louisa Ayers, her mother was a hair salon operator. And her father, this was so dope. He was a successful businessman and one of the first black millionaires in the South. Her parents were mixed race and they were fair skinned, which they said gave them access to places that other people didn't have access to. And they raised Mary Church Terrell to fully understand what that was and to recognize it and to not embrace 
the privilege that she would be receiving as a lighter skinned black woman, but to be a justice crusader. So I love learning about her parents because so much of the stories that we have told are about the scrappy, you know, about our people like rising up and Claudette Coven living on, you know, in one of the poorest parts of Montgomery. But here is a woman who she had some privilege and yet her parents was like, no, no, no. And this is the woman who coined the phrase lift as we climb. So that's really, I think, a homage to her parents who taught her about how to use her privilege. She had Morgan. She earned Yeah, and it's actually, it's relevant right now, too, where um, yeah. people are talking about Kamala Harris and whether or not she's Black enough. The same stuff we were talking about with Barack Obama, the yes. same stuff. And yes. she had a campaign, she had a campaign video out um, that I saw yesterday where she was talking about her mama and she was talking about her daddy and she was like, listen, I know who I am. I know who my mama yeah. is. I know who my daddy is. And I'm fighting for liberation of black people. And I'm a black woman, by the way. And I went to a, yeah. <laughs> she was just like, yeah. you know, like, don't come for me like that because we did not create this racial strata. We did not create this, this yeah, kind of identity where we, you know what I mean? So like, thank so stop. you. Okay, go ahead. Sir. And by the way, and by the way, the global revolution will happen when black and brown people recognize that we are one people coming from the, by the way, great continent of Africa and spreading all out. And we start to combine forces against those people who convinced. I mean, look, the only place where I've seen more skin lightening cream than actually when I was in on the West Coast of Africa was when I was in, in India or maybe Vietnam, like Southeast Asia. But the the level of white supremacy and its impact on all of us as women of color, and I don't even hardly ever use that word, but I'm specifically using the word women of color so that all of our friends on this call who are Asian Pacific Islander, Latinx, um, Indian, no matter where you, uh, indigenous and native, shout out to the Brazilian women in the, in the article that was just written about Girl Trek in Portuguese and the large, like one of the largest Brazilian media spaces. Like we are a global movement, Morgan. So I love I have, you know, I have my opinions, which I will yeah. not be sharing on Black History Bootcamp about the about the Democratic ticket. But I do love that Kamala Harris is owning her Black womanness and and daring anybody to tell her that she's not Black. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting that she came from a millionaire too, because colorism is so connected to classism. You know, if you look at like Vietnam, yes. like that, or even Brazil. It, the reason why people want to be light skinned because it means they're wealthy. They don't have to be in the fields because people in the fields are yes. dark from the yes, sun. Let's keep and it so real. Let's keep it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting yes. that she and had it, the as did hair wealth. politics, as did a whole bunch of That's other right. stuff that now, yes, we are coming back and orienting ourselves to the power around that. But even when we look back and know, trust the creamy crack was an economic decision around how we could show up to make money and put food on the table for our families and workplaces that did not welcome us. So even when we look to like this natural hair revolution and all this conversation, there were really economic decisions that black women and men had to make around our appearance and the way that we showed up. And I want us to move into a world where we don't even have to make those choices, Morgan. I really do. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. So I'm great. I, I want to hear her story. I don't know anything about her, but yeah. it's interesting that she came from both wealth and privilege and the privilege of her skin color. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's so all. she also was one of the first black women in the United States to get to earn a college degree. She earned a bachelor's of art in classical languages from Oberlin College. And then four years later, she went on to receive to receive a master's degree in education from Oberlin College. Upon graduating, she taught. She was a fierce educator, Morgan. She was a fierce educator. We have talked about educators so much on this call. She taught at Wilberforce College in Ohio. 
Then she became, began teaching at M Street Colored High School, which is now Dunbar High School in Washington, D.C. And then she became, Morgan, the first Black woman to serve on a school board. And she served on the Washington, D.C. school board from 1895 to 1901. So I want us to think about all of the educational access and resources that we have right now as Black folks and that we continue to fight for. And she was one of those early educators who was like, this is a lane that I'm going to get into and I'm going to go hard on. She was Morgan. The it's so fascinating of, to me to juxtapose her life with the life of Amanda Berry Smith yesterday, who lost everything, yes. her children, who was in abject poverty and had to hit the road as a, as a spiritual, as a spiritual leader and advisor, because life was so hard for her as a black woman. And it's here's the heartbreaking thing about that all story, of this though, Morgan. was at the turn of the century. It was all at the same it, time. They lived at the same time. Yeah. No, it is. And what's interesting to know about, but what's heartbreaking, and I hadn't even, I hadn't even planned to even mention this because her story has so much layers to it that I wanted to get to it all. But as you were just saying that, she herself lost, I believe, three children. And I'm saying this for the Black women who, when we're talking about like maternal death rates amongst Black women, when we're talking about health disparities amongst Black women, Morgan and I went to the CDC in Georgia, look, Morgan, with our little clipboards and our pens, and I will never forget that we sat down in the CDC and that black woman looked at us and said, it don't matter how much education you get, you still have the exact same mortality rates as black women who live in poverty. And in fact, as you, as you achieve more education as a black woman, the stressors actually become more. So unlike white women who, as they achieve more education, their health their health conditions improve, black women's health conditions do not improve with increased education or increased access to um, income. And so to even know that this, privileged, that this privileged woman whose, whose father was one of the first African-American millionaires in the South, that she still somehow, and, I, and this, again, I didn't even go deep in to figure out what happened with her children because there was so much to learn about her resistance. But it's like, I did note that I was like, how did this happen? And how was she living in the nation's capital when it happened? And her husband, by the way, who she describes with just such love, who was also an educator and went on to be, I believe it was a judge. She was like, look, he was teaching something and then he was teaching me. So I'm just saying, even her, her husband was educated and yet they still had to bury their children. So there are so many injustices and we are not immune to them. And we, and it's why actually our act our collective action for like health and liberation for black women needs to include all of us because not it's all of us or none of us really it is. Yeah. And when we think about policy and even the elections coming up and that sort of thing, access to equal and excellent healthcare matters because as we learned with Fannie Lou Hamer a couple of uh, days ago, because hospitals were segregated, she had to go to an inferior hospital and then she was, for, uh, she was sterilized without her consent. So part of this also is access to the best health care, because no matter how rich you are in the, in, at the turn of the century, you still weren't going to the white hospital. No, you sure weren't. You sure weren't. It is a crime, and it is exactly why Girl Trek exists, so I'm grateful for us doing this work. One of the things, Morgan, so Mary Church Terrell was living in Washington, D.C. She was an educator, and by the way, she actually was forced with the idea of actually quitting her job because at the time that she had became an educator, which I found to be absolutely crazy, she couldn't be married and be an educator, which, by the way, is just insane. And I'm, and I'm pointing that out to actually lay the groundwork for the conditions in which she was 
fighting at the time. So she even had to make choices around that. One of the things that stood out to me, one of her dear friends, Morgan, was the anti-lynching crusader, Ida B. Wells, who we talked about in the Four Mother series of Black History Boot Camp. There are some papers of Terrell's that are like held at one of the institutions. And I was reading through the name. They were like, yeah, she had prominent and personal correspondence, first of all. They was like, she was corresponding with Mary McLeod Bethune. She was corresponding with uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. She was corresponding with, they like, they have all of her letters to with Booker T. Washington, with Carter G. Woodson, with like all these famous folks. And I was like, who's going to keep our correspondence, Black folks? Is it going to be like Instagram? Are they going to be like screen grabbing our captions? <laughs> I don't know. But I was thinking about that. I was like, we might have to get back to the art of like real letter writing and like preserving like our stuff. Hope, thankfully, we're going to have these archives of Black History Bootcamp. But I was like, wow, her community was so fierce. Her community was so fierce. And it made me start to think about like our community. And I was thinking about like Reverend Teresa. They don't realize what they was like. In, they're going to be like in 2020, Vanessa Harrison inboxed the Budgetista. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I was thinking about her. Yes, the Budgetista, Teresa Hayes, like April from Philip Print. Like there are so many women who are like, Chantrell, there are so many people like in our community who I know on their own are doing like warrior princess type work. And I love the fact, oh, the amazing women from Black Market Vintage. Like there's just so many women who I feel like, ooh, are we even in the same like lexicon as them? It feels exciting to know. So I loved learning that about her. But her friendship with Ida B. Wells was important because her, they both knew Thomas Moss, who was lynched. And that is actually even the moment when Mary Church Terrell went from, and I'm going to use the word radicalized in the most positive sense of the meaning. That's where she went from, oh, okay, I'm going to be an educator too. I'm about to get in these streets and make some stuff happen. So her and actually Frederick Douglass in 1892 appealed to President Benjamin Harrison. And they appealed to him to say, that can he please at least make a public statement, Morgan, that disproved of lynching? And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And so she became an even more fervent anti-lynching crusader. And in 1896, she founded the National Association of Colored Women, which, by the way, was other groups that she brought together of Black women. Talk about coalition building. She went out there and was like, who are the other groups of Black women who are gathered? What are they talking about? And can we form one powerful coalition? Not can I get over here on my side and do my thing, but how can we form forces? So they formed the National Association of Colored Women. The building, by the way, is still here in D.C. Look, shout out to the women in Newark, by the way, Morgan, on the couple of days ago when we talked about Nat Turner and we was like, somebody needs to go out there to that park. Two of our trekkers in Newark hung up from Black History Boot Camp. Yeah. Got grabbed their garbage bags, went out yes. to Nat Turner Park and was like, bet, we're going to walk and clean up. And then, by the way, they posted a picture and they shouted out, you're going to know his name better than I do, the New Jersey Newark politician. Is it Raz Baraka? Rod Baraka. You know that's Rod Baraka's son, the poet. The How poet did I know that? What? Oh, yeah, that's his son. That's his son. Yeah, yeah, Rod Baraka. Shout out to Rod Baraka. I think he gave We're going to have, I want to cover time. Mary Baraka on a whole episode, by the way, because I love him. I did not know oh, that. So they ended, up, they ended up tagging him just to say, actually, they didn't even need to use their garbage bags because the park was so clean. So I just want to shout out oh, to our, our community and the work that they're doing and let the women in D.C. know that you can actually walk past the National Association of Colored Women um, and just pay homage on one of your walks. 
So she said, Morgan, in every way possible, we want to call attention to the barbarity that is happening in our country. And she said, surely nowhere in the world do oppression and persecution based solely on the color of a person's skin appear more hateful and more hideous than here in the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. and in this country. And she said, because of the chasm of the principles upon which this government was founded and claimed to, you know, you know, all of the rhetoric and conversation around patriotism, she said, and which we profess to still believe, but that is not daily practice under the protection of the flag and that the chasm is so wide and so deep. It's, that's important to know in this conversation around the kneeling of the flag, patriotism around Benjamin Harrison, the president who didn't want to denounce lynching. Like, the, let's have a conversation about like what we were facing. So that's what she started to do in her work. More than 100 Black women's clubs, Morgan, ended up joining the National Association of Colored Women. And she led the organization from 1896 until 1901. During her leadership, she started to argue around the vote in this country. And she started to argue around the women's right and the suffrage movement. And she started to say that there cannot be any separation. There cannot be any separation between us fighting for the right for women to vote and the right for black women to vote. Like we are women, like ain't I a woman sojourner truth style. And so she explained, she said, it requires a great deal of courage for me to come before you. And she came before them first, Morgan, in February 1891. She came before the, the women's suffrage movement. She approached and asked them for the public support for them, and they declined it. And she said she recalled that when the members of the because That's crazy because it wasn't until 1919 that women got the right to vote. So she was... It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, and I'm going to tell you for 20 years before, that's 20 years before, and something happened in 1913, which I'm going to get to in a moment, that's the real act of resistance of why we're celebrating her, but but I'm actually, I'm telling this story, this goes back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation, those tiny acts of rebellion, those every single time you stand up in the boardroom, those every single time that you find your voice, like Mary Terrell was going hard behind closed doors. She was going hard as a lecturer. She was writing. She was organizing. And for two years. That's what I'm and saying. And for 20 <laughs> years. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Morgan, she was at a meeting in 1891 where Susan B. Anthony, the hero of women's right to vote, was there. And she said that Susan B. Anthony asked, were there anybody who had anything to say or any objections? And she said, yes. She said, I'm here to say something. And so she stood up and Susan B. Anthony gave her the mic. I want to shout out, by the way, all of the, there was a whole movement. I was like, I wonder whose mic I would have wanted to share. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was that movement where um, a lot of the white women influencers and celebrities were passing their mic to like the Tarana Burks and the Brittany Packness of the world, which I thought was a really good movement. So I do want to say Susan B. Anthony passed her the mic in that moment and she invited her to come forward. And she said when she came forward, she that's when she put the resolution forward, asking them around their support and they didn't give it. And it was Susan B. Anthony, who was one of the women, by the way, who didn't give it. They became, however, by the way, friends. 
And they worked side by side on a lot of this work over the years. But Mary Church Trill publicly expressed that she was disappointed in Susan B. Anthony and how narrow she narrowed her scope around the woman's right to vote. And she said that she knew that it was them not choosing not to focus on the restrictions in voting, not to focus on poll taxes, not to focus on literacy tests, not to focus on the actual things that Black women were experiencing around our voting, but just to focus on the white woman's right to vote, which is what happened. And she said she expressed grave disappointment as someone who she said, yes, did share the mic, yes, did say she wanted the right to vote, but um, wanted the right to vote for all women, but didn't show up in what her words say, which is, I believe, something that Morgan, that I was like, there are so many Black women who have that experience. And, you know, you and I have our uh, feelings around like feminism, intersectional feminism, et cetera, et cetera. I put Kimberly Crenshaw's TED Talk in the email today because I was like, well, this is a conversation in which her TED Talk is especially appropriate. When Mary Church Terrell is going to Susan B. Anthony and saying, we have to make this movement broader because you are not making eye contact with our rights. And the movement says, no, we're not going to make eye contact with your rights. Even as we move forward as a collective of women, we have to acknowledge that history. So let's get into it. I set the stage for who this woman was, that this woman who was a charter member of the NAACP, who found it, who found, who got a hundred black woman organizations to all come together under one powerful coalition, who herself approached Susan B. Anthony, grabbed the mic and said, unless we're talking about poll taxes and literacy tests and all the things that black women are facing, we're not even talking about them. The first black woman, one of the first black women in the country to get a college degree, one the first black woman to be appointed to a school board. So this is who this woman is. Her daddy was a millionaire, y'all. This is who this woman is. On March 13, Morgan, she showed up in real solid form. She showed up for the community and she showed up for the people in a way that is so powerful that I was like, she has got to be talked about on today's on today's call. So I'm going to let y'all know what happened. There was a young white woman by the name of Wait, Alice Mar Paul. March 13th, what year? What year? 1913, Morgan. This was March, okay. thir March 3rd, 1913. This was one, okay. I'm gonna set the scene, just like, a, just like theater. March 13, 1913, <laughs> one day before the inauguration of Woodrow Wilson. Oh Lord. I want everyone who is walking right now to picture the woman's march um, that happened alongside the inauguration of Donald Trump. I want you to picture the revelry. I want you to picture the pink pussy hat. I want you to remember how our sisters flooded in from all over the country into the streets of Washington, D.C. Me, Morgan, and the Girl Trek team, we were a part of the, that community of women. And the day before that inauguration, we had held something in Washington, D.C. called a Day of Black Girl Healing. And we held that Day of Black Girl Healing in D.C., Morgan, to hold space for all of the Black women who we knew was too damn tired to show up to a women's march with a bunch of women who otherwise had not been in the street marching for them for years. We felt compelled to show up and to represent the movement in that historic moment, but we wanted to acknowledge that maybe you needed to not be at that march because we rightfully have so much anger. And so I'm painting that picture that that women's march that happened on, um, during the Donald Trump's inauguration, it was not the first of its kind. The first of its kind happened on March 13, 1913, one day before the inauguration of Woodrow Wilson. 
He himself, by the way, was a man who once said in public that women um, that women gave him the chills and gave him a scandalized feeling. So this was not a man who himself even was that vocal of a look, look. He didn't say he was going to grab him by the pussy, which is what our current president said. But you get the point. He was not actually a supporter of women's rights. So March, March 3rd, 1913, Morgan, it went down in Washington, D.C. Some of the women came on foot. Some of the women I saw pictures literally came on horseback and they had Greek Athena outfits on. They had wagons. They had <laughs> costumes. Like these white women did not come to play. They had placards. They had signs. There were a half a million spectators that lined the streets, marchers and people who Helen Keller was there, Morgan. I was like, Lord, forgive me, because sometimes I forget Helen Keller was a real person. Helen Keller, uh, don't laugh, Helen Keller was there. The famous actress Margaret Vale was there. She was actually the niece of Woodrow Wilson, but she was like, I'm out in these streets and I'm, and I'm fighting for women's rights. So this was a huge celebration. And the Black women were there, too. Black women like Mary Church Terrell, Black women who had been organizing across this country. Mary Church Terrell was there, shout out to Delta Sigma Theta, alongside sisters from Delta Sigma Theta, who, which had just been recently founded at Howard University. And Mary Church Terrell approached Alice Paul. Alice Paul was a young white woman. She was college educated, Morgan, and she was a Quaker. And she was the woman who organized the march. Alice Paul strategically believed, and she might have been right, that in order for the women's movement for the right to vote to be successful, they had to carry the favor of white Southern women. So she was like, there's not going to be a movement in this country to get the woman's right to vote unless we get white Southern women to come on board. I'm breaking this down so that because I want you to remember that Kamala Harris is on the ticket, Morgan. I want us to talk about this. She was like, so because we need to get these white Southern women on board, she was like, we have to exclude the black women from the march. She was like, because my rights matter more. So Alice Paul, who organized the march, said we have to exclude black suffrage. And then when people were like, no, 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 Alice, we cannot exclude them from the march. She said, fine, we got to segregate them then and they can be at the very end of the parade. And two things happen, two important things that make um, Mary Church Terrell the hero. First of all, Mary was just like, no, we ain't going to march at the back. So Mary and her Delta Sigma Theta, Delta Sigma Theta recently formed at Howard University crew was like, we're going to march where we want to march in the parade. And all of the Black women who showed up that day positioned themselves where they wanted to be positioned, and they marched in the parade, which is the first lesson for us, that it was like you could, you, she did not follow neither the instruction nor the dictate of this woman who organized, and they did not fall back in that way. And, and that for that moment, active resistance, we're going to celebrate her. But there was something else she did, Morgan, that I actually thought was the most powerful thing of the story. She then didn't give up on Alice Paul because she was like, well, Alice is a militant. Alice has some ideas and I need those ideas for the work that I'm about to do. So her and Alice actually had a long collaboration and partnership because Mary Church Terrell was like, this is about strategy. This is about what I see as the liberation of my people. And she was like, so I actually am going to use every person who I need to use to get done what I needed to do. And she found a way to strategically work with Alice Paul for years 
Morgan, up until August 1920, when Tennessee voted the 19th Amendment, becoming the last state to ratify it, which was so powerful to me. In fact, Alice Paul and her, they actually regularly would go down to the White House and they would picket the White House, like stand in front with other women. Alice was like to inflate the numbers. She would drag her daughter Phyllis down. Shout out to all of us who had to be dragged along somewhere with our mamas. They was like, you're going to show up to this. But sometimes she said it would be so bitter and so freezing cold that they had to get black men to come down and bring heated bricks so that they could stand outside in front of the White House. But she was like, it didn't matter because we were going to do it. And Alice Paul was a part of that effort. Effort. This woman who originally had excluded her from and told her from the march and then told her that she was going to have to march in the back. So she had to talk between allies. It really is a difference between allyship and friendship. Because allyship yeah. is strategic and you figure out who are going to be your allies in order to get you to where you need to go to liberate your people. And that is an yeah. ally. So, I, so don't get yeah. it confused when we say route their allies. Harriet Tubman wasn't friends with the white people that was on the Underground Railroad. Maybe she was, but I, she was like, how am I going to get free? How am I going to get my people free? These people want to help. Okay, Quaker lady, let's do it. And I'm saying maybe you can become friends with your allies and Listen, I'm yeah. trying to learn from our ancestors. That's why I'm listening real hard while you're talking to this. And I'm like, listen, Look, Mary Church Terrell can do this and be forgiving and be more strategic than emotional. Then maybe I need to do that, too. But I'm just saying that you also cannot follow the direction of people who don't have your best interest in mind. And that woman didn't have her yeah. best interest in mind. So she did reject the direction of that lady. And then she yeah. leveraged that lady's access, privilege and strategy in order to get what she needed. So she's more strategic than I am right now and less emotional and I'm learning. Yeah, no, look, I'm learning too, I'm learning too. And what I'm also learning, Morgan, is even after the amendment was passed and even after most people would have said, you know what, good job, good servant, like your work here is done. She was like, no, my work is going to continue. And for decades later, Morgan, she fought for the rights of black men and women in this country. In 1950, her and a group of friends who were trying to eat at a restaurant here in Washington, D.C., were discriminated against. She sued the restaurant. She single-handedly became one of the women who actually ended segregation in Washington, D.C. through that actual lawsuit. And this was well after the work that she just did to get y'all the right to vote. I'm just saying, like, and that was well after the work that she did (laughs) on the education board. Like this woman was a after she started the NAACP and after she started right I'm just association of color women just in case like extraordinary not all heroes wear capes like this woman was extraordinary and one of the most touching things about her story I was like man what is it that I want to live to see happen in my lifetime she died well into her 80s she lived a long and beautiful and impactful life. She died in 1954, Morgan. She died two months after, and this was an educator, one of the first black women in the country to get a college degree. She died two months after the Supreme Court's ruling, Brown versus Topeka versus the Board of Education. Having herself been, I just thought how miraculous for her to live to see the woman's right to vote, to live to see Brown a board of education, to and to be an anti-lynching crusader, to be one of the women who will be named in every single one of those movements. I was like, it's powerful. I and believe I was like, in that. I believe it. Yes. Like W.E.B. the book died, um, died on the, mar- the same day as March on Washington. 
WB yes, Du Bois was just yes, like, yes. listen, it's done. Yes. It's done. My work is yes. done. <laughs> and I will say this. I took a footnote about another woman who I personally did not know about and actually maybe knew about through peripheral but didn't know about who she worked really closely with. And I was like, this woman probably needs her own episode, by the way. But I just want to share a little bit of tidbits about her because they were really close partners in crime. Her name was Anna Julia Cooper. I'm, I feel like as I'm saying this, by the way, that Jewel from our team, who is like the resident womanist on the thing, is going to be like, of course you didn't know about Anna. Look, I'm sorry, Jewel, I don't know about her. Anna Julia Cooper Morgan, she's actually sometimes referred to as the mother of Black feminism. And I actually learned about her. I obviously knew about um, Kimberly Crenshaw, have seen her TED Talk many times, but I was like, wow, Annie, Anna Julia Cooper actually preceded um, Kimberly Crenshaw. And she, many people consider her to be the mother of Black feminism. Cooper was born into slavery in 1858 in Raleigh, North Carolina. And by the way, if I didn't mention this, I want to mention this, that uh, Mary Church Terrell's family, they actually were born enslaved. So her father, who later became a millionaire in the South, and yes, they were light-skinned, and yes, I'm just saying their privilege didn't go that far beyond that they were actually enslaved people. So I, so I do want to even say that. And Anna Julia Cooper's people, um, she was actually born into slavery in 1858, and she would go on to spend most of her time as an academic living in Washington, D.C. And she was one of the people who helped establish the colored, there's just so, we our history is just so dope. She helped establish the Colored Women's League, which later became part of the National Association of Colored Women, which was led by Mary Church Terrell. Here's one more leap. You were yes. talking about how Mary Church Terrell had to quit her job, or, or they didn't want to be married and be a teacher. Well, yes. a generation later, a woman named Septima Clark joined the NAACP, which Mary Church Terrell yes. helped to start. And because she was a part of the NAACP, she got fired from her teaching job and then went on to become the architect of the civil rights movement. So let me just say, <laughs> let me just say thank you to them women. Let me just yes. Say, and thank you to Mary Church Terrell. Thank you to Anna Julia Cooper, who actually, she had what is considered to be some of the most foundational analysis of injustice in the United States that overlapped with racism and sexism. And she started to produce that analysis as a specific response to what she felt were white women making calculated choices to exclude black people from their efforts. And so she was like, well, let me go ahead and tell y'all why that's not going to be okay. And let me break it down for you in academic form so that y'all folks, so that everybody understands. So I learned about her through the learning of Mary Church Terrell. And I mean, it was beautiful, Morgan, even as we have been building Girl Trek, I want to just uplift the other like Black Girls Run, Outdoor Afro, like there are so many other organizations within our kind of sphere who they're fighting the good fight in their own like spaces and lanes. And we need more like acknowledgement and recognition of that. Absolutely. Everybody Black, win, win, win. Every Black woman organization, every Black woman leader, every Black woman activist, we want them to put the millions of dollars in your hand. We want them to put you on the uh, cover of the New York Times and the New Yorker. We want you to get all, look, the Britney Pack of the world, the Angela Rise of the world. Shout out to my Seattle sister. Like, get on the cover of those magazines, of those news shows. Like, let's, like, kill the game. It just opens up the door for all of us in a really beautiful way. So, and maybe that is even, like, the last reflection on this work of Mary Church Terrell Morgan um, and her beautiful life uh, that she lived. Um, I just love to honor her. I, love nine. I hope everyone yeah. loved her story. Yeah, yeah. So Thank we are going to end... We didn't start here. We started with Donna Summers because I was like, Mary Church Terrell, 
she was a, look, I was like, I don't want the Deltas to come for me. I don't want the proper ladies to come for me. So I started with Donna Summers, but we ended with Rihanna, bitch better have my money, y'all, because it's black women equals payday. And we got to go out there. The 59% of black women on this call who have not talked to the leadership in your company, book some time, like book some time today. Let that be your call to action. Book some time today, even if it's just like, hey, I want to go over the strategic plan for the organization. I want to talk about my future. Where do you see me? And by the way, don't come to the meeting with no ideas about where you see yourself in the in, in the plan like it, it, so that you so that you can have a real conversation so yeah the main lesson i'm taking away from this is just don't listen to the rules that people give you who don't have your intentions in mind so even if that includes yes. your your best interest because our labor is exploited y'all and so if even the most well-intentioned um, boss or employer or supervisor has his or her own outcomes and you are a means to get to those outcomes. And so you have to be a means to get to your own outcomes. So go and advocate for yourself, speak up, get in the front of that parade, get in the front of that parade. Yes. Get in the <laughs> go front ask of that for parade. what you deserve. Amen. Yeah. Look, shout out to Janine and our community who will always be at the front of the parades in her girl check shirt or her her fan veils just spread love and giving and giving the allies the business all you, the Janine. time. She's a, she's a courageous warrior, Janine, and you are um, the daughter of Mary Church Terrell, one of our ancestors. So, all right, y'all, bitch, better have my money, Rihanna. Yeah, yo, yeah, yo, Moolala. Forgot. 